lot of concerns about people looking for reservations to get vaccinated. There's not enough Pfizer or Moderna to go around. So the, the Japanese government is racing to procure uh, supplies. But, you know, with this Olympics going on and the Delta variant tearing through the world, um, you know, is that too little too late? But, yeah, the vaccination rates are increasing, and that's good, but probably not fast enough given the Delta variant. William, thank you very much indeed. We'll talk to you again very soon. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo, the Nikkei 225 right now is up 0.4%. Down in Australia, the ASX 200 is up a third of a percent. Stocks also rising in South Korea with the Cosby moving up about 0.7%. Looks like now it's going to be maybe a flat open for the Hang Seng in just under an hour's time. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil stable at $74.69 a barrel, uh, but gold down a touch at $1,797 an ounce. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Danny Gittings and Andrew Work coming up after the news. The weather forecast for today, sunny periods and a few showers. Going to be very hot once again, maximum temperature around about 35 degrees. The very hot weather warning is in force and it's going to remain very hot with a few showers tomorrow. They will increase gradually with thunderstorms in the middle and latter parts of the week. 30 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, has congratulated Chung Ga Long for winning the city's first Olympic gold medal in fencing. She said she closely followed his matches and he made Hong Kong citizens proud. Chung beat reigning Olympic champion Daniel Garozzo of Italy at the Tokyo Olympics to win the city's second Olympic gold ever. Aaron Tam reports. Chung said he was in disbelief after he won the nail-biting bout 15-11. to 11. Speaking to reporters after the match, he said it was a statement win showing that Hong Kong fencers can win in Asia and on the world stage. Chief Executive Carrie Lam praised his outstanding skills, calmness and perseverance. She said he has made history for Hong Kong. Large crowds who had gathered at malls to watch the fencers' live broadcast were jubilant, with some even popping champagne to celebrate his victory. The authorities in the U.S. state of Florida say they've identified the remains of the last person to be discovered following the collapse of a seafront apartment block a month ago. Estelle Hedeo was the 98th person confirmed to have died when the building came down. The Miami-Dade mayor, Daniela Levine-Carver, spoke to reporters. Although we have identified all of the victims that were reported missing, the Miami-Dade Police Department continues the ongoing search and recovery effort on the evidentiary pile to ensure that all identifiable human remains are recovered. Leading scientists have warned that mega heat waves could become up to 20 times more common in the second half of the century. The research comes as an intergovernmental panel on climate change, the IPCC, meets to review scientific reports on extreme weather events. Here's the BBC's Roger Harabin. Governments will study evidence that since the Industrial Revolution, all or almost all of the temperature rise of around 1.2 Celsius has been caused by burning fossil fuels. Three years ago, an IPCC report warned that heating of more than 1.5 Celsius would risk dangerous consequences. This week's meeting will hear that threshold may be breached within a dozen years, much earlier than previously thought. Meanwhile, scientists say the temperature rise so far is causing some extreme weather events and making others worse. 
You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Andrew Work. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Danny. On today's Back Chat, as mixed signals emerge from the latest round of meetings between Chinese and American diplomats, we'll be exploring whether Sino-US ties are starting to stabilize after months of an- angry rhetoric. The meetings in Beijing began badly, with Vice Foreign Minister Xie Feng telling visiting US Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman that bilateral relations had reached a stalemate. But they ended on a marginally more positive note after the US said it did not seek conflict with China. However, both sides remain at odds over many issues, including the tit-for-tat sanctions imposed over Hong Kong last week. So is there any sign that relations will improve? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. That's 233 233- Double eight two six six. Late in the show, why did it take police so long to smash two illegal car parking syndicates in Jordan? Our guest for the main segment of the show, we are joined by Mark Michelson in our Queensway studio. Mark Michelson is chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And we're joined on the line by Feng Chongyi. Feng Chongyi is Associate Professor in China Studies at the University of Technology in Sydney. And um, Andrew Leung, Andrew Leung, International and Independent China Strategist. Uh, good morning. Uh, let's, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark Michelson, maybe let's go to you first. Um, what, what do you make of these um, sort of slightly mixed signals coming out of Beijing? Good morning. Well, first of all, the important thing is they talked because it didn't look like they were going to for a while. You know, there were t- there were there were all these uh, decisions about what, who they were going to talk, who Wendy Sherman was going to talk to and so on. But they did talk. And it, I think I think not unexpected. There was some posturing on both sides stating their case, but then maybe made a little progress. I mean, one of the challenges is, is that the Biden administration is moving toward cooperation in areas where they can and confrontation in other areas and and the and the chinese said that's not going to work and it's a question going forward whether it's whether it's going to work but i think for both sides when you look at, at what what are the interests of both sides there is an interest to tone this down to look for ways they can find some so-called green shoots in this dispute. You know, we've talked about climate change, but really we have to think of trade. And there's been some indications that maybe the U.S. is thinking of of moving a little bit in that direction, especially on tariffs, if they can uh, overcome their opposition within the United States. More, more tariffs, but uh, not strategic goods. Yeah. Now, so, you know, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of Treasury, a, a couple weeks ago publicly said that the tariffs were counterproductive. Which is what a lot of business people have said for U.S. business people as well as others and economists have said for a long time. Whether that's going to result in anything, it's hard to know. But at least that was a public statement by a current U.S. official that there might be some room for negotiation for some change. And what did you make of all this? I think we have to call it really posturing before the meeting and primarily on the Chinese side because there wasn't much coming out of the American side before the meeting. They said that uh, it was time to teach America a lesson if it wants to push other countries around and that it was China's responsibility to tell, basically show America not, not, not to mistreat 
treat the rest of the world in this way? Yeah, these have these have been statements. You know, this isn't new, right? It happened in Alaska. It's happened in public statements since. By yeah, Chinese but it didn't and, happen and, a few years ago, did it? Yeah, I mean, it, no, it didn't. And I think it's I think it's partly because this is really you know superficially. I mean, this looks like the U.S. U.S. China disputes about trade. Uh, substantially, it's about IP and technology, but really, it's about global leadership. Mm. A fight for global leadership between China and the U.S. Is it a zero-sum game? I hope not, but certainly they're both looking for that. And uh, in doing so, they have to make their points both both externally and especially domestically. Uh, Andrew Lung, uh, you, you keep an eye on the international scene. This all this all this kind of posturing that we didn't have a few years ago. Who who is the audience for that? Is that so that other Asian countries will be like, yeah, China, you tell them, or or, or you know they're trying to make a good impression with leaders in Africa, you know, given that's that's kind of a new U.S.-China battleground, or is it more for domestic audience? Because the Americans don't really seem to care. Andrew Lung? Yep. Yes? Uh, yes, hi, morning. Good morning. Um, uh, I think that these um, talks uh, and what's happening, uh, what's been happening over the past couple of years, um, has revealed the fundamental uh, contradictions uh, between the two countries. Um, I think that there's, um, before these talks, there has been a lot of posturing um, on the side of the United States and trying to talk, uh, before talking to China, uh, trying to uh, muster a kind of position of strength. Um, but to the Chinese, to, to Beijing, this seems to be American, America, uh, America to be on the high horse. Uh, trying to lecture uh, on, on, on China. Uh, and then uh, behind it, of course, is the um, uh, well um, entrenched a sense of American exceptionalism, that America is an exceptional country, it's an indispensable nation, it's a city on the hill. Um, and that translates into, uh, under the Trump administration, unilateralism. That again contradicts uh, with uh, China's concept uh, of a more um, multilateral uh, world um, whereby no country can dictate terms on other countries, um, bearing in mind not all countries are the same. And then all this uh, demonizing uh, of China, uh, even though uh, some of them, um, um, you know, one can find some evidence uh, of truth, but on the other hand, there is a, in the eyes of Beijing, there is a great deal of exaggeration um, on, um, on human rights, um, bearing in mind that uh, America's own record on human rights in the eyes of Beijing uh, is not all that immaculate, um, uh, not, not least uh, is the starting of a, a kind of war um, of, on terror, uh, on false premises, yeah. uh, causing huge uh, dislocation and loss of lives um, and, and so on and so forth. So I think that this um, uh, demonizing China all along um, uh, translates into uh, Beijing's view that America is trying to paint China, um, the Communist Party, as an illegitimate regime uh, without realizing that even in the eyes of the Harvard Kennedy School uh, latest report, um, in terms of the support of the people, uh, China's ranks um, almost the top uh, of the world, multiple ranks above the United States, uh, because the Chinese people's lives have been miraculously transformed under the tutelage uh, of the Chinese Communist Party. And then uh, that uh, fits into um, China's sense of uh, century of humiliation. So this American 
uh, trying to ally a lot of Western countries, trying to put pressure on China, reminds Beijing of the kind of um, leak uh, of um, um, the eight nations invading China in the past. So I think that this, um, uh, in the eyes of Beijing, rubbing salt into the historical wounds uh, of uh, China's national psyche. And at the end uh, of the day, the two models are very, very different. And when the United States tried to woo China into the WTO, the hope was that China would be more like the United States, without realizing, of course, that China's civilization, uh, China's um, uh, uh, demographics and, and, and history and, and culture, very, very different from the United States. Um, and of course, uh, China's model is state capitalism. Uh, it's very different from uh, Americans' liberal uh, capitalism. And China puts greater value on, on collectivism uh, against Americans' emphasis on individualism. So I think that there is a clash of, of, of values there. Um, even though it's not exactly a clash of civilization, but then there is an increasing um, sense of um, danger in the minds of a lot of the American uh, elite. But not only the American elite, the American people uh, have been hyped into a sense of an imposing, um, a, 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 a impending danger uh, that somehow the China would be threatening the American-led liberal order. That translates into a state of almost paranoia. For example, in the recent uh, st uh, uh, satellite images uh, of China's uh, wind farms, um, those um, silos of, of the wind turbines were mistaken uh, as China's uh, ICBM um, rocket launch sites. So this shows how paranoid American could be. Okay, wait, of wait. Course, wait. Both sides are, are aware of the flashpoints. Both sides do not want a war. Yeah. A hot war, uh, but the fresh points are there over Taiwan, over South China Sea. So I think the world, um, in, in a more uh, multipolar world, uh, even though American um, power is still um, 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 dominant in a number of fields, um, but then uh, American, um, in the eyes of Beijing, can no longer call the shots all the time, and it's got to concede power somehow um, in, um, in in other areas. Okay. Uh, and the concept of a more inclusive. Uh, world, multipolar world, uh, which is not dictated by American unilateralism. Andrew, we got, we got to let you breathe. We're worried you're going to pass out. You've covered 200 years of history we went to, to answer a question about the rhetoric over the past week. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> that, that, that was uh, Andrew Leung, international and independent uh, China strategist. We're discussing Sino-US relations after the latest round of meetings in Beijing between uh, Chinese ministers and uh, visiting uh, US Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman. If you have any thoughts on this or indeed on other topics, such as the Olympic pick um, gold medal overnight. We've got several emails on that, and we'll get to those after news. Uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Uh, let's now bring in uh, Feng Chongyi. Feng Chongyi, Associate Professor in China Studies at the University of Technology in Sydney. Uh, Professor Feng, thank you for joining Backchat. Thank you. And um, what, um, what do you make of the outcome of these meetings in Beijing? may be aware of the uh, report in uh, Global Times that the, the um, in full actually about about here uh, from the Deputy um, Foreign Minister lecturing the uh, <laughs> one discernment about the mistake uh, made by United States uh, in his own words um, 
here from actually our series, the so-called uh, rule-based international order. It's nothing but an American version of the rule of the jungle. You can see that. According to him, the, the three key uh, policies, um, competition, cooperation, and complementation policies pursued by the current uh, Biden uh, administration, it's, uh, it's a, a trick try to crack uh, down on China. According to him, confrontation and containment are the fundamentals. Cooperation is for expanding only, and competition is actually a trap of discourse. He assumes that Americans have been uh, trying to uh, do all the bad things, and in the meantime, uh, get all the benefits. So if you, in reading these uh, lies, uh, you have to come to the conclusion two sides are actually uh, taken diametrically opposed positions, as, as they could be, because now they are actually in the Cold War. The two sides are engaged in these um, political and ideological warfare alongside the uh, commercial or economic uh, engagement. But for the Senate side, for the, for the CCP, you have to understand their ultimate concern about the regime survival. This regime is not an elected government. It, it does not have uh, um, democratic legitimacy. So it, it always relies on the what so-called performance legitimacy. And as Wang Yi told uh, um, Thomas, that we have three bottom lines that you will never challenge our political, our socialist system, that the communist dictatorship. You never challenge the Chinese uh, authority for development. That the economic performance to uh, satisfy the Chinese population to uh, allow them to hang on to power. And the third bottom line is the, the, uh, the state subvention. That is the Chinese ideological for legitimacy, nationalism. So these three bottom lines have made very clear that the two sides have so fundamental different uh, values and political systems. It depends on the political wing of each side whether they, they have been strong enough to fight and win the Cold War. So, but I mean, you know, this happens at the highest elite levels of government, but it doesn't seem to play out in terms of how the Chinese people and American people actually deal with each other. They're quite happy to do business together. Uh, they try, you know, prior to COVID, they travel back and forth. They do deals. Business gets done and everybody's very happy with it. And, you know, people, you know, people in China are, are dependent on jobs from Americans paying for their goods. And, the, you know, when you when you see people get together, you know, outside of politics, uh, they're quite happy to deal with each other, have dinner, go for drinks after maybe too many drinks. You know, so it seems like there's is, is there a political disconnect? Is the, are the politicians disconnected from the people in China and in the United States in many cases? It's true that two people, Chinese and Americans, 
half they love each other. In medicine, you say a lot of things. But we are talking about the Chinese Communist regime. I mean, I mean the the uh, previous administration of United States made very clear distinction between the Chinese Communist regime and Chinese people. In terms of the economy, of course, China uh, uh, and America, or China in Australia, or in other democratic world, are quite supplementary in uh, economic terms. But politically and, and ideologically, they are they are diametrically opposed mm. against each other. So this is reality. Um, the the just imagine if Chinese communist uh, dictatorship is gone, the Chinese people can have very very good relationship with the people around the world, with other nations. To, to uh, pursue their prosperity and enjoy their freedom or democracy. Okay, let's um, bring in a comment from uh, Henry on Facebook, talking about the uh, meeting between or the meetings uh, between uh, uh, U.S. Uh, visiting <coughs> Deputy Secretary of State uh, Wendy Sherman and uh, uh, Ch- Chinese uh, Foreign Minister and Vice Foreign Minister in Beijing. A fairly detailed um, analysis of it. Uh, Henry says uh, reading different versions of the purpose of the meeting and the hard talks by both sides prior to the meeting, one already sensed that China is likely to lecture U.S. in this meeting. China released statements made by Xie, Xie is the uh, vice foreign minister, Xie, Xie Feng. China released statements made by Xie almost immediately after Xie spoke these strong words. Uh, Wang Yi, that's the foreign minister, Wang Yi's firm words on China's position, red lines and U.S. hypocrisy, for example, human rights, must have shocked Wendy Sherman and left her dumbfounded. Her tight posture and grim facial gesture contrasts sharply with Wang Yi's relaxed facial gesture and posture at her meeting with Wang. The meeting room set up between Wang and Sherman is very different from the past. It shows a Ming Dynasty-style chairs and side table. The distance between Sherman and Wang was distinctively wide. Clearly a strong, unwelcome message has been sent. Keep you at a distance. Sherman's Twitters and US comments after the meeting was the usual stuff, with parts blasted by China admitted, very much expected. China's stand is firm, clear, righteous, and tell the US to change its China's policy. If US didn't, I doubt if the relationship could improve. Biden would also fail in his plans that need China's cooperation. Biden is caught here. He has to think about midterm elections, the meeting's impact on US allies, on how to change U.S.-China's policy, how to deal with anti-China fever in the U.S., etc. Thank you very much, um, uh, Henry. And Mark Michelson, how about that? I mean, uh, body language does make a difference in these kind of meetings. And I think uh, I noticed watching the news last night, it was apparent to anyone that uh, Wendy Sherman did not look happy in that uh, meeting room in Beijing yesterday. Well, I I expect she didn't. By by the way, I I think it's... It's in it's in both their interests, both the American and Chinese side, to to find a way through this, despite all the rhetoric. But look, Wendy Shar- Sherman in her in her past position, she dealt with North Korea and Iran. I don't think she was probably shocked by what what she heard from from China. You think she was in North Korea mode then? Yeah, been been heralded. Yeah, you know, she's got a she wants a trend, a fine line. She's you know she's supposed to show that U.S. is still tough on China, and because that's a strong view in in the U.S. as you know, and that's not new. 
it's not new at all. I where I grew up in in Illinois, uh, we lost. We had seven factories growing up. I've said this before. When I was growing up, the last one closed about twenty years ago, and uh, they blamed the people in my neighborhood blamed blamed trade in China. None of the factories went to China, but it doesn't doesn't really matter. I don't think in yeah. in many ways it's that kind of situation. But at the same time, both sides need each other to a certain extent. They do disagree fundamentally in a lot of different issues, but I think they're looking for ways through this, and we'll see if they can get there. There have been, again, the U.S. released, uh, lifted some of the restrictions on TikTok and on uh, and on uh, WeChat and on uh, Xiaomi and a few others. They've made a few other moves uh, on researchers, the restrictions on researchers in China, the visa restrictions. Are these signs that maybe there's some some give and that there might be some give with Chinese too, and they can find ways to cooperate. I hope so, but I I think what's been described is is quite accurate. It's a very difficult situation at the moment. Because I mean, there, there's no reciprocal to that, is there? I mean, when no. America kind of frees up on TikTok and and the and these Xiaomi and these guys, there's there's no Google and Facebook being allowed to go into China. No, no, there's, there's That's no true. Recipro- there's no reciprocity. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, and too long. Yes. Um, well, I think that all these um, um, soft gestures of friendship. Um, cannot overcome the fundamental um, ideological difference between these two countries. Um, because um, uh, if um, uh, the United States still clings to the idea uh, that the, uh, America is a tower on the hill, and then American electoral uh, uh, politics or democracy is the only um, ideology that counts, and if the United States cannot accept the legitimacy in the eyes of their people um, that is a completely different system could be even equally legitimate uh, in the eyes of their people. If Americans cannot accept that and continue to preach uh, this one taste uh, for all uh, kind of American democracy, um, in the words of Wang Yi, um, this Coca-Cola formula of their democracy, uh, then I think that the fundamental differences are there. Um, and then, uh, as you've rightly pointed out, with the midterm elections coming up, Biden cannot be seen uh, to be weak on China. Um, and also, uh, the American people, I agree that there's more meeting with the people would help. But then, if you look at the latest polls, um, a great, uh, a large majority of the American people have now a very negative view uh, on China. And because of both all this rhetoric and, of course, perceived China's aggression, um, and not only in the United States, but in the Western world. So I think that we are seeing a um, generational uh, kind of uh, paradigm shift in relations. Um, I think more, what, what probably uh, is required is more than just one uh, uh, Biden administration to restore the friendship on an even, even keel, uh, if not just to, only to avoid um, a major spiral um, into um, a kind of hot war which would be, you know, catastrophic for the entire world. And, of course, all, all, all this tough talk from the Ch- Chinese diplomats goes down very well at home, doesn't it? Well, yes, of course, uh, because the, uh, it's not just the um, uh, China's hyping it, because in the eyes of a lot of the Chinese people, 
um, this kind of um, uh, historical wounds are still very much alive, kept alive, of course, if you could say, by uh, the education system, uh, by the, uh, a lot of Chinese movies. But, but if you look at the history, it is true. I mean, uh, China was um, under the thumb uh, of the Western nations for over 100 years uh, with territorial concessions. Um, and then even after the First World War, when China sent... Uh, thousands of laborers to the Western Front, um, and the Shandong province was handed over to, to Beijing, uh, to Japan, uh, against the wishes of the Chinese people. So all these uh, past actions are still uh, very much edged um, on the uh, Chinese national psyche. But then we didn't see this guy, this kind of lecturing from Chinese diplomats five or ten years ago, did we? I mean, and Deng Xiaoping yeah, actually um, because, quite um, specifically right said that. Out. I mean, for example, um, um, uh, under under um, President Nixon, um, when uh, the United States was on very good terms with Chairman Mao and trying to uh, um, uh, help uh, uh, China at that time uh, and usher it into, into the Western world, because at that time uh, the thought in the United States was that by uh, developing um, good relations with Beijing, it is was seen as a means to thwart uh, the rise of the former USSR. And then uh, with the WTO entry, the thought was that China would become more like the United States. But I think that now the situation is entirely different. China is seen as eating Americans' lunch uh, on trade, on technology, and also trying to, uh, the fear is that China would become uh, more dominant, uh, threatening Americans-led liberal order. So I think that we require a much more um, deeply seated uh, kind of system uh, to help restore uh, the relations with the two countries, not just between China and the United States, but also with other nations. Because don't forget the relationship between U.S. and China, and not just between these countries, would affect the relationship with Europe, with Asia, with the entire world, and not just on trade, on technology, but on um, and, you know, it's climate change, regional stability. So I think that we, need, we may need a well a, a, a revamped um, United Nations system, um, a more <laughs> multilateral okay. uh, kind of system to restore uh, the relationship, um, not just okay. between US we're, and China, but we'll, uh, the, the world order, as it were. We'll have to break there. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, that was Andrew Leung, international and independent China strategist. But stay with us. We'll be continuing discussion after the news on uh, Sino-US relations. Also be reading out your emails on other topics, including that gold medal for Hong Kong overnight. If you've got any comments on any topic, just email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Later in the programme, also talking about that parking scam that's been cracked in Jordan. Uh, the weather for Forecast, very hot with sunny periods. The maximum temperature will be around 35 degrees, a few showers and isolated thunderstorms. Back in three minutes. Meanwhile, scientists say the temperature rise so far is causing some extreme weather events and making others worse. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings, sitting in for Hugh Chiverton, your co-host this morning, uh, Andrew Work. Uh, continuing our uh, discussion in the second half of the programme, we'll be continuing our discussion on Sino-US relations following those meetings in Beijing between uh, visiting US Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman and the Vice Foreign Minister Xie Feng and Foreign Minister Wang Yi. Uh, late, later in the programme, we're also going to be looking at um, a parking scam that the uh, police have busted in uh, Jordan. Our guests, as we continue the uh, main section of the discussion, still with us, 
our Queensway studio, Mark Michelson, cha- chairman of uh, Asia CEO Forum at uh, IMA Asia, and on the joining us on the line, Feng Chongyi. Feng Chongyi is associate professor in China studies at the University of Technology in Sydney. If you have any thoughts, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or you can uh, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Uh, before we go back to our guests, let's bring in a, um, a few uh, comments from listeners um, on other topics. Uh, first of all, an email from uh, Bowen uh, referring to uh, last Friday's Backchat, last Friday's Backchat, of course, uh, the interview with Chief Executive Kerry Lamb. Now, part of this email was read out on yesterday's show, but uh, due to uh, technical problems, it was truncated. Uh, so let, let, let's um, let's give, give the full message now. Um, uh, Bowen uh, referring to uh, the co-host on Friday's show. To be fair to Karen Coe, who co-hosted last Friday's show, she had not said anything wrong before the chief executive warned her she was treading on dangerous lines. The point she made about the government using the police as a response to a political problem in 2019 had been made before, sometimes by highly qualified people like Chris Patton, who said at the time the government used the police as a substitute for policy. The chief executive's immediate interjection that it was a security instead of a political problem needs to be qualified. It was just a political problem before violence on protesters by the police and other groups and the government's lack of response and political solutions eventually made it a security problem. The 2003 situation also mentioned by the chief executive was not the same. There, after Tung Chiwa's announcement of the postponement of the second reading, nothing was done to aggravate the situation. Critically, Regina Ip resigned just 10 days after Tung's announcement. In 2019, it was a much more serious mistake made even worse. Thank you very much, Bowen. Several emails. Of course, the story uh, overnight is the gold medal for Hong Kong, only the second gold medal ever, and I'm sure yeah, we'll be... Great uh, news. It is, yes. Yeah, and you saw, yeah, the, saw the pictures, on, didn't we, of the cheering crowds yes. uh, in various shopping malls in Hong Kong yeah. a while since Hong Kong's had something to celebrate. I'm sure we'll be looking at this um, in uh, more detail on uh, Backchat tomorrow, but the comments already starting to come in from uh, listeners um, and... Uh, yeah, perhaps a reflection of the times, even though the Olympics are political, aren't they? Uh, um, the comments, uh, first be. of all, yes. Um, <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> yes. uh, Martin says, uh, our government spent millions of dollars to acquire the rights to broadcast the Olympic Games as part of its promote patriotism drive. Taxpayers were therefore gobsmacked when a teacher and member of the DAB party, uh, this is a reference uh, to Nicholas Mook, um, launched a vicious and totally unjustified attack on one of our athletes. This, this distracted not only the athlete, but all our contingent and placed them under considerable unwelcome stress. Mm. If someone from the yellow camp had posted similar scurrilous comments, the police would have been knocking on his door the next morning and he'd be locked up without bail for crimes against the nation, dissemination of fake news, doxing. His teacher's license would be revoked. But under the current interpretation of two systems, the issue has already been brushed under the carpet. As with the hot pot incident, we can expect the usual suspects to be trotted out in coming days to defend the culprit and plead that the community view the issue in more in a more humanised way. That from Martin uh, Mar- Marcus on our Facebook page. A number of comments about the um, uh, about the Olympics on our Facebook page. Uh, Marcus says gold for Hong Kong, but the so-called patriotic unelected leaders are only focused on the choice and colour of athletes' clothing due to the non-sponsorship of their companies and wealth. So patriotic. Beijing will be hoping they lose. The APM mall scenes uh, say it all, though. Cheering Turkey against... uh, Cheering Turkey winning against uh, China. 
Uh, also on our Facebook page, if I can just uh, call it up. Uh, TC saying, as a Hong Kong Canadian, I'm doubly happy about day three of the Olympics. A gold medal for Hong Kong and an adopted child from China won the first gold medal for Canada in the 2020 Olympics. Andrew, you must be pretty happy about that. Yeah, that's true. I'm Margaret, Margaret McNeil uh, in the 100-meter butterfly, uh, as you say, adopted. So uh, me too. So uh, yeah, go adopted kids. <laughs> okay, that's enough Olympics for the moment. But please uh, do, do keep the, the message coming. As I say, we'll, we'll probably look at the Olympics related issues in more detail on tomorrow's show. Um, Mark Michelson, back to, uh, the, uh, to, back to the topic of today. We haven't heard very much about a Biden-Xi meeting, have we? Yeah, well, I that was one of the reasons, apparently, for Wendy Sherman to meet with uh, Yeah, but then they Chinese said that, that it wasn't even on the agenda, didn't well, they? Well, no, they didn't say. But, you know, the, the, the time when it seems most likely to happen is at the end of October, Maybe symbolically on Halloween when there's a G20 meeting in in Italy, which you know, which is a common time to meet on so-called sidelines of the meeting. It sounds, it looks like there won't be one before that, but that would be opportunity, and that would give some time to talk about uh, to talk about some of the issues that are dividing them, and maybe to actually have an agenda that might move things forward. It depends so, certainly on what's the situation in the U.S. too, and the political atmosphere and other things. Things. A lot could happen before that. But to go back to a, a – there has been a little change in U.S. policy. For one – you know, it's called unilateralist, but it's not so unilateralist anymore if it ever was. I mean, the Biden administration has been pretty proactive in, in trying to uh, trying to encourage some of its allies to join with them with mixed results, admittedly. But, you know, the, under the previous administration, there's a real emphasis on, on – Measures that would hurt, hurt China or hobble China in various ways, including the tariffs, which didn't do it in, in other ways. But, but now the Biden administration is, is much more proactive in, in dealing with the G7 and not just, it was mentioned Western allies. It certainly just isn't Western allies. It's obviously the Quad with Japan and, and India. Uh, South Korea at, at times is involved with that. Uh, that's important too, but also finding ways to strengthen the U.S. as a competitor because U.S. and other multinational businesses are still quite active in China and see it as a high priority. So uh, obviously many of them don't want to have too many restrictions are looking for ways ways to cooperate. So one of those ways to for the U.S. to strengthen that is to increase the competitiveness of some of their industries and in areas and including production like semiconductors and the Innovation and Competitiveness Act, which was passed by the Senate, U.S. Senate, which is now being considered for the House, is one of those ways the U.S. is trying to move forward. It's industrial policy, which the U.S. is done before, hasn't been particularly good at, but is trying to come back to China in that way. So it's a much more mixed approach. Don't know if it's going to be effective, but it's a little different than before. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a big difference, too. In China, there's one voice. It's the official voice, whereas in the United States, you've got a multiplicity of voices where you've got, the, you've got the, the line coming out of the White House. You've got Republican senators. You've got Democratic Congress. You've got the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, Feng Chongyi, I mean, when people say America this and America that, what do they mean? Because really, there's a lot of different voices coming out of America. Yes, of course, that's the nature of democracy. You allow different opinions to express. You have different Uh, interests of, 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 of different uh, communities to be uh, taken care of. That's natural. Um, the thing worries 
lead that the uh, or, or, or I hope that uh, the, the Biden uh, opposition will not give in too much to the demand by the Chinese regime. The Chinese regime actually appear uh, strong in appearance, but uh, very weak in uh, reality. Um, and Leon mentioned several times that the Chinese regime uh, enjoy great support. Uh, by the population over inside the, uh, the so-called poll that is uh, 90% of the support. You, you, you should always uh, worry that they, why there's no 100%, why 90%. If you look at the history of any dictatorship around the world, they always enjoy uh, 100% of the population support. But that, that's not real. That is, that is something that, that is a fake um, uh, information uh, controlled or manipulated by the party, party uh, debate. It never um, those kind of uh, public opinion can change overnight once one, one uh, a crisis or when the regime is, is, is gone. So that, that is not reliable uh, sources of, uh, of, of um, information. And the United States and the Democrat world, I hope, but uh, stand firm uh, with their values and uh, principles in dealing with this kind of regime. And um, uh, no matter what, I mean, they, they, they precisely when you have different opinions, different interests in, in the United States, then you can always uh, accommodate them with negotiation and, 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 and bear with a uh, democratic process. Um, Mark Michelson, where, where do you think um, we're, it's always dangerous to gaze in the crystal ball, but where will we be in a few years' time with um, Sino-US relations? I mean, you could say if, if the, the things are this bad under someone like Biden, I mean, what happens if um, Mike Pompeo or even Donald Trump wins the 2024? <laughs> I mean, it, it, seriously, if you have relations this bad under a pragmatic internationalist leader like um, uh, Biden, I mean, there's surely potential for them to spiral further down under a new president. I mean, or even, even sooner, the midterm elections, if the Republicans Take yeah. the Senate. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then absolutely. Although the administration has some control over foreign policy, but not, but not completely as, as you suggest. Yeah. No, this, this is going to, this, this contest, this rivalry is going to continue. There are fundamental differences, as, as is mentioned, politically and ideologically, and but especially economically and in many other areas. So it's going to continue. It's a question whether there are there are. There are leaders on both sides that look at their, their interests, the interests of of both countries and and the and the, those that support them, and it's in the interest to find ways to not not solve all the problems because they won't, but at least to look for ways in which there can be cooperation in areas that are going to be beneficial. For example, we have inflation that's hitting the United States and other places in, in a serious way right now, and part of that has to do with supply chains and with with other factors in which China could be very helpful. And, uh, you know, so it's there would be some incentive to cooperate. I can't predict who's going to be the next president or what the next Congress is going to be like or what's going to happen with the China, with China as well. But clearly it's going to continue to be an issue. And, you know, for for the benefit of both sides, they have to find some ways to uh, to work together. Whether that's going to happen or not, I don't I don't think we know yet. But I think there's some small steps being taken now to move forward and see how 
how uh, substantial those become. And then, of course, something could happen over Taiwan, and it would all go wrong. Ab- absolutely. I mean, absolutely. So there are a lot, and there's North, there's Korea, we, which also could be a little bit of a problem as well. Well, they actually, I mean, the Chinese side, didn't they? They made a point of stressing in Beijing that um, Taiwan uh, Taiwan is the single most important issue as far as they are concerned in the bilateral relationship. Yeah. Some things haven't changed much. That's been true for a long time. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you're not concerned about a flat. I mean, people even talk about the possibility of a war. Oh, sure. They? There's, there's. I mean, I, you know, we, a lot of, a lot of people who know a lot more about this than I do, uh, think that that's that's not a strong possibility. But there's always a danger, of course, and the confrontations, and whether it's in the South China Sea, or whether it's over Taiwan or in some other areas, there's certainly a possibility that something could happen. And if it's not a full-out war, at least some kind of military confrontation, which would be very worrying. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, Mark Michelson, uh, Chairman of Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Join us in our Queensway studio. Or our thanks also go to um, Feng Chongyi, Feng Chongyi Associate Professor in China Studies at the University of Technology in Sydney, and also joining us before the news was Andrew Leung, international and independent China strategist. Uh, uh, the last word on the, this topic, at least for the moment, goes to uh, our listener, Bowen, who says, I, I would advise caution. Oh, wait, the email entitled, use the right terms with integrity, please. I would advise caution for the use of terms like state capitalism and collective or centralized democracy for today's topic. State ownership or direct control over multitudinous activities, which can be operated commercially under private enterprises, nothing new. Back for some decades until the Thatcher Revolution, companies like BOAC, um, British Airways and British Leyland were all state-owned. Nobody thought of calling it state capitalism. It was socialism, and it's more honest to call it that now. Similarly, a political regime like that which exists in the mainland is at least an authoritarian, as opposed to a democratic system, which means, among others, free elections, real choice of candidates and genuine rule of law. One can argue about the relative merits and demerits of a democratic system versus a centrally controlled top-down approach to governance. But it's disingenuous to call the later just another version of democracy. Thank you very much, Boeing. Moving on, reports that uh, police have uh, smashed a illegal parking syndicate in uh, Jordan, where they've been running the parking meters there. The, um, and the Perhaps the most interesting point about this was that this syndicate had been running for 30 years. That's unbelievable. And I mean, what they were raking up to, what, $300,000 a month? Yes, exactly. Police estimated the two syndicates took in uh, uh, more than $300,000 a month. Well, you say it's unbelievable, Andrew, but uh, joining us is uh, James Ockerton, uh, who is the founder and editor of Transit Jam newspaper and uh, also producer of radio show Wham Bam Tram. Uh, James, good morning. I suspect you're going to say that it's not so unbelievable at all. Is that correct? Hi, Danny. Yeah, well, I'm going to say, you know, the police haven't actually smashed anything because I went down there yesterday to have a look, and I went to two sites. Uh, I went to Manchong Street, which is the one they claim where they had smashed this ring, and it's just business as usual there. I mean, it's just the the gangs are still operating. And when I say business, you know, it's basically criminal enterprises who've stolen public space and are reselling it at huge profits. So, you know, nothing's been smashed. They may have made a few arrests and gathered a few octopus cards, but uh, it's very much going on. And around in uh, TST, a few uh, about a kilometre away uh, on Cameron Lane, it's it's horrendous. The, the valet parking by the the Triad gang there has just taken over the whole cul-de-sac, and they're doing such a brisk business there. So I don't know really how the police can claim to have smashed anything, really. 
Okay, so I think for probably for listeners that aren't familiar with the story, we might have to back up and do a little bit of explanation. Yeah. So, so the, the thing they claimed was smashed was where the triads were taking public parking spaces and renting them out on a monthly basis, right? They would get a monthly fee, and they would basically occupy the space until the person who had paid them the monthly fee would come, and then they would move and let that person yeah. in. So they always had a guaranteed parking space. That's exactly it. And this happens all over town. And there's two different models. There's like the monthly model, which you just talked about, and then over in TSD and Cameron Lane or some... You know, near the massage parlors or this sort of thing, there's the, the valet style. So the gang keeps the spaces free and then just park the cars wherever they can, usually not actually paying the parking. Um, this one that was just busted, exactly as you said, it was a monthly one. They were bringing in around 300000 a month uh, for 30 years. So it's quite an incredible story, really. And is that different from, you know, you see in Causeway Bay all the time, the guys with the bleach blonde and the tattoos are, are like blocking parking spots for delivery trucks. Are they kind of basically blocking the part the, the public space and then they get it, they get a, they get 20 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever from the delivery guy? Yeah, exactly. Or? Exactly that. It's taking the public space. And of course, the reason is that the, the, the parking spaces are not properly priced. The government has left the parking prices at sort of colonial levels, $8 for, for an hour. So... There's huge profits to be made here. I mean, there's, there's gold on the streets. It's just basically these triad gangs can, have seen that they can charge a huge demand for parking, and they can charge a proper market price for it. They're doing what the government won't do. Okay. And, and, given it's that obvious, and we all know it, I mean, what what yeah. is going on here? Why are the police allowing this to happen? I mean, I, I, you know, somebody I mentioned this to yesterday, her, the, the immediate reaction was like, oh, of course the police are in on it, you know, uh, you know, kind of hearkening back to the uh, the old days of, of uh, pre-ICAC. But why yeah. has this persisted for so long? I've been asking the police this for the last year, uh, specifically on these, uh, these sites, and there's no good answer. And they, they claim they've been doing this operation number mixer they call it which is the one they did on saturday since mm. 2009 and they make you know a handful of rests every few years and i think it's just to look good because you know it, it's impossible to see this sort of stuff going on in broad daylight with the police sort of ambling by very often in, in tst at least and, and nothing happening you've got to ask are you in on it you know i don't want to accuse the police of that but it doesn't look good Okay, well, also joining us is uh, Guy Shearer. Guy Shearer is a retired Hong Kong police officer and uh, regular backchat listener. And uh, Guy uh, emailed us earlier to say that when, uh, when he was in Yamate Division in 1984, he successfully prosecuted a similar gang in, uh, in district court for conspiracy to defraud the Hong Kong government of parking meter revenue. Good morning, Guy. Yes, good morning. Tell yeah. us more about it. So this really is, I mean, your, your, own, your own case mm. shows just how this, is, yeah. this, is, this has been going on for decades. Yes, it has, I think, but I, I have no knowledge of the current situation there. Um, and uh, certainly back in the 80s, I inherited a huge file of complaints, particularly from what we call the man complex at the Yamati Ferry Pier in Jordan where a syndicate was supposedly washing cars and they would guarantee that nobody would get a ticket from any of the meters. And there were 60 in the car park and I think another 40 or more in the estate itself. So, and the previous response had been to just flood the area with cops and issue tickets, which wasn't very successful so we mounted a surveillance operation for three days in which we let them carry on their activities which was uh, this is old technology of course they were loading the parking meters with coins mm -hmm. but not turning the handle 
not putting the money in the meter. <laughs> what's the, what's the logic behind that? Well, if the cops showed up or the traffic wardens who were doing their best, they would run around and uh, actually load all the meters. So there was nothing to do. So we watched that and we filmed it. And then we had the transport department <coughs> empty the meters to see what the revenue was. Then we did it again for another three days the following week in which we got the place hammered every day, all day. And then at the end of that three days, we were able to show a massive increase in revenue. Mm. So we were able to successfully prosecute them as, uh, for conspiracy to defraud the Hong Kong government. And they went to district court and they got substantial sentences. Now, I don't know what the situation is now in respect of the modern meters. They're certainly not coin-operated. Um, but uh, I did have, actually have a word with the police district commander in Yao Chim district when I read about uh, similar cases in Chim Sa Choi about three months ago mm -hmm. and uh, said that you, you might like to consider uh, this charge of conspiracy to defraud, but I'm not sure... And I've not seen any publicity about the case that you're talking about, which is so uh, interesting. I just checked the South China Morning Post and I couldn't find any the, mention. This is one of these cases where in terms of the English language press, the standard is ahead of the South China Morning Post. You'll find it in the uh, the standard. Um, James, um, James Ockenden, um, so what, what do you make of this? This really reinforces what you, 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 you've been saying, that this has been going on for decades, right? So that we yeah. have a first-hand account. You know, back in the 80s, it sounded like at least they had the right idea to do some basic surveillance. You know, it's not difficult, I would imagine. And if they were to do that, I've, I've done it with a video camera. You know, I've got stories like that. And I'm just a citizen, so I don't understand why the police haven't got people going in sort of undercover, parking a car. Um, it's interesting what, what your guest has said there about, you know, the charges laid. Um, the, the police have told me they've also charged people establishing a business without the director of immigration's approval and taking a conveyance without authority and driving without a license. So that's the valet cars, you know, taking the, the, the gang, taking the car and parking it somewhere else without proper insurance or whatever. So there's a variety of charges they could lay if they really wanted to, um, but they just don't seem to be able to, to gather the proper evidence. It sounds could, like a, um, yeah. could uh, James explain exactly how this syndicate is working? Because I'm not familiar with that. Well, they're using octopus cards. I actually watched, I filmed them yesterday, so this is after it was busted. They go along. I, I arrived at Manchong Street, and all of the cars on the street had uh, 14 minutes, or a few at the end had 15 minutes remaining. Um, so obviously, you know, there's no chance that's going to happen by, by luck. Um, and I hung around with my camera, and, and when it got down to two minutes, the guys came out quite furtively looking around, looking at me, very conspicuous, in a guaylo in this uh, very uh, uh, grassroots area. And then they just got on with it, and they just went down the line with their octopus card, beep, 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 and uh, charged up the uh, the meters again. So, so they charge. So basically, they pay the fee to the government, but then what they charge a they charge a higher rate to people that are, yeah, that are coming in. So they have a guaranteed spot. Thousands a month, and the, the, the government rate is only eight dollars an hour. So it's you know not it's a minor expense to them. Uh, the profits are huge, I would imagine. What they were doing in '84 was um, charging everybody five hundred dollars a month. Which was a lot of money in those days. So, so. Not, well, quite a lot, yes. To park their cars, uh, and they were guaranteed no tickets. And they'd also get their cars washed. The cover was a car wash business. Mm. And I think there were two operating. 
It's not changed much, has it? it Maybe it's become a family business. Apparently, it's got more expensive then, and, and you're not getting a car wash, so actually services have dropped a bit. <laughs> yeah, and apparently this was a family business where the mother had passed the business on to her sons. Uh, and and the property going... agents, in the, if you were renting a oh, flat yeah. in the area, property agents would actually tell you that parking was available because uh, yeah. you, can, you, know, you, you just you, you see these um, these facilities for parking. Um, we should give a plug here to uh, James Ockerton's uh, website, uh, transitjam.com, where you can indeed um, see the the video he took he took um, yesterday of this operation seems to be back back in back in yeah. action. What twenty four hours after the police arrests? Yeah, barely that. And down on camera lane, which I've done so many videos down there, and also you know ask police about it, and still they just come up with the same cut and paste reply like we take a priority on keeping the traffic flow. Um, I don't think they really prioritise uh, legal parking or this. You know, and they should. It's a theft of public space, basically. And earlier on, you and yeah. Andrew were saying it happens all over Hong Kong. Now, that's a slight oh, exaggeration. Yeah. not all, all over Hong Kong, well, but I mean, it is very... It, which areas would we say it's most prevalent in, apart from... Depend, depends on what form you're talking about. Like in Causeway Bay, uh, you see a lot of them. They're, they're, they're holding it for the delivery trucks. And I mean, there, there may be an argument there that if they didn't do that, even though it's illegal, that you would have delivery trucks blocking the roads for extended periods and getting into fights with the police on a, on a constant basis. Um, but that's different. That's not sort of a commercial money-making operation where you're charging other people. I, we've all seen well, that around town where you block off an individual yeah. space for a truck that's coming, right? Yeah. That's a different kettle of fish from here as a big organized operation feeding parking meters. Yeah, yeah. It's a different different form of it. Uh, James, where do you see the other the other kind most prevalent? It, well, obviously, TST, Jordan, Yamate, uh, Mong Kok, and, and Wang Chai, there's quite a big operation around the, uh, the emperor sort of um, building there. Um, which was one thing, you know, when Fred Choi was up for his massage parlor shenanigans, we were asking the police, well, is this related to the to the triad parking gang in that area? Because obviously the massage parlor clients use these valet parking services. So we thought there was a link there, and that's how we sort of tried to get in on that Fred Choi story. So uh, that was some uh, interesting angles. If I could say something here, um, if it is widespread, you know, a successful business will generate more successful businesses, won't it? And I suppose the police have been distracted for a couple of years, but perhaps um, a case can be made for them to form a small group under the Organised Crime and Tribe Bureau, or at least at regional level, to look into it properly and uh, put, a put a few people through the district court. Yeah, I mean, this, if this one group has been has been taken out of the, the uh, taken out of the game, the, I'm sure another one will rise to take their place. It sounds like pretty much instantly. So, okay, we'll end on that note. Uh, thank you very much. You you heard uh, Guy Shearer, who's a um, retired Hong Kong police officer, regular backchat listener, and of course James Ockerton, James Ockerton, founder and editor of Transit Jam, um, and I must recommend Transit Jam, TransitJam.com. I check it regularly myself. If you want to follow um, uh, transport related news in in Hong Kong, there's really no better place. Also producer of uh, radio show of Wham Bam Tram. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, thank you very much, Andrew. Hey, thanks, uh, Danny. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> You're still cheerful about the uh, Canadian and presumably Hong Kong Olympic results. Absolutely looking for more good news today. Yeah, well, we can keep uh, keep the emails coming. As I said, we will probably uh, be looking at Olympic-related topics um, uh, tomorrow. For the moment, uh, the weather forecast, uh, very hot with uh, sunny periods. Uh, the maximum temperature will be around 35 degrees with a few showers and isolated thunderstorms later. Currently, the relative humidity, 30, uh, 77%, and the temperature, 31 degrees. With the completion of COVID-19 vaccination and achievement of herd immunity, I hope we can... Go home directly after traveling out of Hong Kong. Visit grandma and grandpa with other family members safely. 
exercise indoors without restrictions, get together with a group of old friends again, travel outside Hong Kong during holidays. I hope that we can return to normal life. With all the rewards and concessions, let's get vaccinated early. The news with Samantha Butler. Three national security judges are expected to deliver a verdict today in the landmark trial of the first person charged under the security law. Tong Ying Kit, who's 24, pleaded not guilty to charges of terrorism and inciting secession, as well as an alternative charge of dangerous driving causing grievous bodily harm. He's accused of driving his motorcycle into three police officers while carrying a flag with the protest slogan, Liberate Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times. An educator says the exodus of students from Hong Kong can bring about positive changes in schools as they compete for fewer pupils. Vincent Wong from the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Education said change brought opportunity and school leaders could consider introducing innovative extracurricular activities to make their schools more attractive. And leading scientists have warned that mega heat waves could become up to 20 times more common in the second half of the century. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet and retiring doggy counsel co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decide of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Welcome to Tuesday. Lovely to be back with you. Morning Brew here on 3. And Hong Kong is a happy place this morning. It's fencing star Edgar Jung takes an Olympic gold. AFP's Danny Hicks will be with me in about seven minutes from now, live from Tokyo with more on that, plus a joyous moment for the Philippines. Do email any questions and comments you may have. We'll read them out live and have a chat. Morning Brew at rthk.hk or pop them underneath my programme notes on Facebook for this morning. Jared, what with me after 10.30 for this week's news from Down Under? And after that, Dr Merrin Pierce will be talking about lizards in Hong Kong with Dr Bosco Chan, an expert from Kadori Farm. Join them on Facebook Live, if you can. 12.10, live from Melbourne. Business futurist Morris Misalowski is going to talk about the robotic tech at the Olympics and how it's going to be used at the Brisbane Games in 2032. 